Welcome to the podcast of Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. Today's message was originally preached January 22, 2012 by Gerald Schrock, and it is entitled, The Hardest Commandment. This morning I've titled the message, The Hardest Commandment. Now, um, that's the title that I've given it. Perhaps you wouldn't do that. Uh, perhaps you would find another commandment that's harder. Um, but um, that's the title that came to my mind when I, when I looked at this verse. And this verse is Romans 12.21. Romans 12.21. And the message will be uh, somewhat centered around Romans 12, although I won't be using a lot of the text from there. Romans 12.21. Be not overcome of evil but overcome evil with good. And perhaps it was, a com- well, I think it was a confluence of influences that, or of, of um, what I've heard over the past few weeks that have brought this verse to my mind. But in speaking with Lama last Sunday about the situation in Nigeria um, and the, what the Christians are facing there, the temptation they're facing to pull, to pull arms, to, to resist. Um, you know, I thought about that and I wondered, how would I, how would I handle that? How would I handle that pressure? How, what, what would it do to me? And I felt it was good for me to, to look at this uh, introspectively, look at it in my own life. And how am I doing? How are we doing uh, at this? Not being overcome of evil, but overcome ev- overcoming evil with good. First of all, I'd like to look, what does it mean not to be overcome? You know, that, that, that at least for a young man, is, sounds good. You know, not to be overcome, not to be bested. The synonyms here are not to be bested, not to be conquered, not to be defeated, not to be put down, not to be licked, not to be mastered, not to be uh, overmatched or prevailed against or skunked or stopped, or subdued, uh, not to be uh, upended or worsted. Um, good things for, at least for a young man. I can't exactly relate how a young girl would relate to that. But, um, you know, th- that's what it says here, be not overcome. So if we would just stop there. Uh, uh, it would maybe as... as as humans, we, we could feel good about that, you know, not to be overcome. Um, the antonym to overcoming is lose to. You know, this goes with our human makeup. We don't like to be, we don't like to be beat. I don't, doesn't matter if we're male or female, older or younger. We don't like to be beat. Uh, I remember as a youngster, maybe 15 or 16 year old, my, you know, my little sister, uh, she got better and better at carom till one day she beat me. And I, that, that didn't feel very good. I wasn't used to her beating me in carom. And since then, she's done it frequently. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've got used to it. I can, I can live with it now. But it, that first time, it, it, you know, I had to really hold my face and, you know, not show how much this really bothered me. Uh, I can remember one of my cousins, uh, 
beating me in tennis. Um, she, you know, she was, she was, uh, I, I taught her how to play and, and she got better and better. And then one day she beat me and I was playing just as hard as I could. You know, before I'd let her beat me and, and she got to the point where, where I had to play really hard and I still got beat. You know, sometimes those things don't feel good. Uh, my brother-in-law is beating me in croquet, leaving me way behind, you know, in the, somewhere. Um, you know, these are little things. Uh, these are the beatings that, that we would consider really hurting in, as adults. And, and actually, they're fun. They're part of the game. <clears throat> what about triumphed against? It's not natural for us to enjoy being triumphed against. Saul didn't find it enjoyable to uh, hear the women singing David's praises and with Saul being the insignificant comparison. Saul didn't enjoy that. He didn't enjoy hearing you know, the women say David has killed his ten thousands and Saul his thousands. And, you know, he, in a sense, he was triumphed over at that point. And then subdued. Just, you know, looking at these words, what goes along with being overcome or overcoming. Subdued. Um, it's not nice to be subdued. Remember, I had a young stallion that I was training, and he was a registered Morgan, and he was about a two-and-a-half-year-old. And a day came that I needed to shoe him because I was riding him a lot on gravel roads. And this young, this horse was, he was quite a horse. You know, he... Always when I was riding him, he was rarely on all four at the same time. He was usually up in the air, and I had to throw him over backwards a few times to, to teach him not to go too far uh, when I was halter breaking him. But often as I rode him, he would just, you know, if we're sitting still, he was just always up, up on two, two feet. And when we got ready to shoe him, the horseshoer was, uh, was one of these uh, people that didn't want to get too rough with an animal, so he spent hours trying to shoe this, this stallion, and, and uh, about the time he started driving a nail, why, uh, no matter what he did, the, you know, the, the horse would just go, would start jumping around, and he, he couldn't wear him down. Finally, he gave up. And so the horse was, in a sense, subdued because, you know, he was tied to the hitching post. He couldn't run, but he wasn't really triumphed. He wasn't really defeated. And then I took the horse to some Amish people, and they took him into this little thing, like an enclosure, where there was lots of leather straps and so forth. I let him in there, and in you know, about five seconds, those Amish had leather straps underneath them, and they, uh, I don't know exactly how they did it, but they hitched him right up in the air, and here was the horse, and he was defeated. I mean, he couldn't go anywhere. His feet were pulled up. He just was hanging in midair. And... Um, it was a kind of a good feeling for me because we had worked and worked to try to get him sheed before, and all of a sudden this horse was defeated. I mean, he couldn't do anything. When he got out, he, he had a little bit different air. He seemed to, to realize, you know, that um, there were bigger, better uh, forces out there than himself, and, and he, was, he, he listened. I, I thought it did something for him. But we don't like that as human beings. We don't like to be subdued, defeated, overcome, beat. The Bible's and here's again it says, "Be not overcome." And I'd like to just, you know, to to stand on, to stay here, and maybe maybe look at this. You know, if we were not reading the rest of the verse, "Be not overcome." 
So we stock up on the artillery, we build big muscles, and we establish defense systems, and we develop allies. We're not going to be overcome, right? We're not supposed to be beat. We're not supposed to be triumphed against, subdued, or defeated. Um, I'd like for you to follow me a little bit here in a story. Uh, well, maybe it's not a story. It's, it's a, a picture this, this one artist drew. Of, of defeat or um, being subdued, triumphed, triumphed against. And this one artist, he was picturing the Armageddon, so as to speak. You know, the nuclear forces had taken place. Everyone was blown up. Um, and at the end of all of this, uh, you know, everything is in shock. Everything is leveled off. At the end of all of this, there's a a uh, young Arab soldier wiggles up out of the sand. And then over here, a young Jewish soldier wiggles up out of the sand, and they're standing up. And they, they look around, and the next picture, they're looking at each other. Their, their eyes are locked, and, and, the, and the one soldier still has a, a rifle has a, in his hand. The other one is without, is unarmed, apparently unarmed. And they eye each other very warily. Finally, the one steps forward and says to the other one, um, you know, since we're the only ones left here, we might as well make peace and be friends. And the other one says, yeah, that's true, that's true. And so they, you know, go to shake hands, and uh, the one that's apparently unarmed um, pulls something. In the next picture, there's just a poof, and in the middle of the picture is a hand grenade with a pin pulled. And, you know, both of them are gone. Um, I'm drawing that picture to show what, how it looks if we stop right there with be not overcome. You know, if, if, we, if we don't read the rest of that verse, if we just focus on that, don't be overcome, uh, that's really, I think, a good picture of where we end up at, you know, poof, as humanity, as brothers and sisters. Um, so we want to go further into this verse. Our warfare is not carnal. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 3. For we walk in the flesh, for although we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. That's not our war. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not earthly. They're not guns and machetes and knives and you know, whatever else that we might have to available as earthly defense. That's not what our warfare is. But our warfare is mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Ours, the warfare we're fighting is much larger. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. That's quite a warfare. That's quite a different warfare than what we think of as warfare, isn't it? Casting down imaginations, pulling down strongholds, bringing into captivity every thought. That's, that's the warfare we're looking at. That's the overcoming we need to be thinking about here. Our weapon is the light and the power that's in us, but it's not of us. 
that sent us in through Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 4.6 says this, For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts. It's interesting, we were driving out the lane uh, uh, a few evenings ago. Had the lights on. You know how it is now in the wintertime and gets a little cloudy in the evenings and by 5 o'clock it's dark. It was about 6 now and everything was just as, you know, the cloud cover and it's just as dark as could be. And we're driving out and uh, all of a sudden this kind of, uh, you know, crazy thought came into my mind. You know, here we are, we're driving down the lane. We're following a light. I mean, it's dark around us. If it wasn't for that dark, you know, we landed in the pond for sure driving out. But we have that light ahead of us, but we're sitting in the dark. I mean, there's something, and there's dark between us, isn't there? I mean, there's, just because there's light ahead doesn't make light between us and the dark, you know, if you're driving. And it's, it's kind of, I don't know how relevant that is to right here, but it, it makes me think of that that light that God has commanded to shine out of darkness, it's there. We can see it even if we're in the dark. And people, you know, that are not Christians can see the light even if they're in the dark because that's just the way it works. That light is shining in darkness. It has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. This excellency or this power that we have is of God, it's not of us. We are troubled on every side, 2 Corinthians 4.8. Yet not distressed, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, which is also the light, that the life also of Jesus might be manifest in our body. The light of Jesus Christ might be manifest in our body. That life, that light that God's commanded to shine out of darkness. And the enemy is evil. The enemy is evil that we're trying to overcome. And guess what? It's not going to be overcome with guns and bullets, with nuclear warfare or defense systems or worldly allies, that evil is not going to be overcome. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. So it's a good idea for us, if we're looking at this, to figure out exactly what is evil. You know, we want to know what we're facing. Um, Can we put a face on evil? You know, there's evil. That's how it looks like. It has two eyes. It has a nose that shapes upward and to the left, and, you know, can we put a face on evil? Um, We would like to be able to do that, to identify and to, you know, to say this is what evil looks like. As a young man growing up, um, I remember this story. There was a a guy in our community. He tended to be a bit nervous, and... uh, very nice young man, very nice young Christian man, but he he could easily be um, he could easily be uh, easily be um, you know put into a panic mode. And he was on a farm and uh, out chasing the cows with the with the uh, 
with a pickup truck. And when suddenly out of the grass jumped up this figure with a horrible mask on it. And I'm not saying this should have happened. I'm not condoning this, but this is what happened, okay? This, this figure jumps up with a horrible mask on it. And, and this young man uh, saw it, and just in his mind, he just panicked. He thought he was seeing the devil. And, uh, you know, seriously speaking, that's... And I know this young man from other incidents, and I believe him. And somehow he felt like he had full permission to, to chase down the devil and run over him. And he chased this figure out there around in the field until that figure got very tired and was worried about actually getting run over and pulled off the mask. And uh, it happened to be a young neighbor boy that was out there to scare him. But, you know, could, have, could we run over the devil? There, there'd be some real implications there if we could actually run over the devil, if that would be possible. But we know it's not. Um, you know, thinking of putting a face on evil. If, if we could just get rid of it like that. But, but that's, not, that's not how evil is. It doesn't have just one face. Or There are faces of evil, by the way. But it's not just one or two or three. Can we put a location on evil? Is evil there or is it over there or is it in that town? I think there are certainly evil strongholds, evil places, evil uh, places even within good areas that you know we don't want to be close to have any part of. Um, but that's not really, you know, we really can't say that that's the location of evil. Is there a Mr. or Mrs. Evil? You know, how do we de- identify evil? John 3.19 says this, and this is the condemnation that light is come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil for everyone. So they showed that they loved darkness more than light because of their what? Their deeds, because of what they did. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light lest his deeds should be reproved. And maybe just putting this, can we put a face on evil? These questions on, on the back of our minds a bit here while we're looking at this. Men and women that love darkness and evil and do evil deeds become, I believe, progressively evil, become more and more evil because they're putting out or separating themselves more and more from the light. Evil isn't a passive force. It's not something that's just you know, that, that stays by itself. It's not contained. It's not a passive force. It's a very much of an active force. It creates strongholds in the lives of those who, who love and practice it. Um, the knowledge of evil and the works of, of evil, if, if they're not renounced, they're, they're like a, a root that will grow and it will spread rapidly. It will kill, it will devour um, Good soil, good uh, ground, good uh, good fruit. It will it, it it has that propensity. It's an active force. 
And this can happen on every level. It does happen on every level, on our personal, in our personal lives, as a family, as organizations, on national levels, international levels. If evil isn't renounced, it will come in and spread and devour. So evil is a force. It's not necessarily something we can put a face on and say, there's evil, or in a box somewhere, that's evil. But it's a force. It's the, evil is the absence of light. It's darkness. Evil is the rejection of light. We saw um, here what it says, men love darkness rather than light. Um, Eve rejected light when she turned away from God's command. She listened to that, yea, hath God said, that voice of the serpent. Yea, hath God said, that infusion of doubt, that's evil. That infusion of doubt, that rejection of fully believing that God says and what God says he means. And that is truth. She rejected that and that was an evil force that started, made a profound difference on her, on Adam and on our race. Evil is the chains that wrap men up into worldly perdition, ungodliness, corruption, bad, habit, bad habits, and, and bad practices. Uh, they're, the, they're the chains that, that take someone out of freedom and bring them into bondage. Evil is the worship of the creature instead of things. Instead of the worshiping of the creator. Evil is the worship of the creature, the self-adulation, the self-exaltation, instead of looking up and worshiping the creator. Again, evil is the character of the serpent injected into our race that continually counters, denies, and attempts to minimize the authority of God and of Jesus Christ as Lord, as God. It attempts to minimize the Lordship, the Creator, and His claims on our His claim on our lives. Evil, the results of evil are wars. There are famines that result from wars. There are pestilences that result from wars, from men's fighting amongst themselves. These are all maybe what we could say the more tangible results or the more tangible face of evil. Evil is condemned to the lake of fire in the form of, of Satan, of course, in Revelations 21.8. Maybe look that up. Revelations 21.8. But the, but the fearful and unbelieving, the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Those are those that practice evil. And evil is ultimately condemned to, to perish eternally. So back to this again. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. How can we overcome evil? I mean, that sounds 
awful sinister, doesn't it? It all sounds like a big enemy for us to overcome as, as uh, Christians. Although there is that verse that says, Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's right. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. How do we overcome evil with good? First of all, it's for us to recognize the threat. I was reading a biography of Keith Green. I'd like to bring this into play or into part of their experience this morning. Uh, these, this was a couple that had been dabbling in the occult, had been dabbling into uh, uh, drugs and, and uh, the highs that come from that and, and uh, different, different forces. They were looking for peace, trying to find peace, um, trying to find something worth living for. And uh, this is a testimony of Melody Green here. As soon as Keith and I became Christians, we knew there was a real God and a real devil. It certainly explained the dark force that took control of Harmony outside. This was a place they visited before becoming Christians. Of Harmony outside the blah blah that hot night a few years ago. And one night from our bedroom we heard a loud noise like heavy chains scraping across a hard surface, then a loud crash. We rushed into the living rooms to find that our large double-globe table lamp lay smashed to pieces on the soft carpet. Weird. So many people in Southern California and across the America were dipping into the occult and New Age philosophies without realizing the demonic powers behind them. Most of it had looked pretty innocent to us before. Even with my vow to never get into satanic things, and I did without realizing it. But now we knew that Satan was a hardball playing, totally evil spiritual entity. Satan put enough truth into darkness for it appeared as light. The more you hung out in the devil's territory, even in ignorance, the more power you gave to him, and he was determined to capture and destroy every suspecting soul he could. I think that's, that's a very real picture of, of what it's like to, to give ourselves to evil, to give ourselves to, to uh, darkness. And then uh, she wrote this uh, poem, which was then later turned into a song. And, and she, she wrote it uh, from her, she wrote it in her, in her own way from Satan's point of view. And as Satan would have said it, oh, my job keeps getting easier as time keeps slipping away. I can imitate the brightest light and make your night look just like day. I put some truth in every lie to tickle itching ears. I'm drawing people just like flies because they like what they hear. I'm gaining power by the hour. They're falling by the score. You know, it's getting very simple now since no one believes in me anymore. Oh, heaven's just a state of mind my books read on your shelf. Oh, have you heard that God is dead? I made that one up myself. They're dabbling in magic spells. They're getting their fortunes read. They heard the truth but turned away and followed me instead. Everyone likes a winner, but with my help, you're guaranteed to win. Hey, man, you ain't no sinner. No, you've got the truth within. This is exactly what the devil told Eve, isn't it, in the garden? Didn't he tell her just this very same thing? You know, if, if you give up, if, if God is just trying to take something from you. And uh, 
And if you do your own thing, God knows that you're going to become like God's and you're going to know the difference between good and evil and, and all of this. <clears throat> and that story is just getting repeated today, just like it says here. Uh, the devil's using the very same tactics. He's telling people, you know, you've got the truth within. You can, you're your own person. You can make you, set your own uh, moral moral standards, moral, you know, acceptable and not acceptable. <clears throat> That's the devil's way of, of slandering, of, of bringing mankind down. <clears throat> Away from God's holy standard. He's been subtly, the devil has, the accuser of the brethren is what the devil is called, or the, the definition of devil and Satan, his adversary, the adversary of, of man. This is his, this is his um, way of, of pulling man away from God. He's infusing that humanistic belief that man is his own God and that there are no moral absolutes. There's no higher, there's no, there's not a higher authority. There's no battle going on between good and evil. He, he would have, that's what he wants men to believe. And, uh, he wants men to believe at the best there's only an acceptable practice and an unacceptable practice in society. And that's only based on society's current whims. You know, that is evil. That is um, away from the face of God. That is darkness. For, the, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And that was a lie straight from the serpent. Still going on today. Ye shall not surely die. Another lie from the serpent. That's evil. So how do we overcome? First of all, recognize evil for what it is. First of all, Going back to our Sunday school lesson, some full and total submission to Jesus Christ. That is the only way. That's the first step to overcoming evil. Step number two is recognize that we as Christians, we're not called to overcome people. We're called to overcome evil. We're not called to overcome people. We're called to overcome evil. If we were called to overcome people or evil people, you know, we'd build muscles, we'd take up the guns, we'd build defense systems, just like, you know, it's happening in, in the carnal warfare. But in reality, when the Christian uses earthly weapons to overcome evil, he actually subdues good. I think that's true. I know it's true, in fact. When the Christian uses earthly weapons to overcome evil, he actually subdues. At best, he subdues evil, and he subdues good at the same time. The goodness that could flow from the Christian is subdued. The goodness that could take place is subdued through the powers of, uh, of an earthly and evil warfare. And evil can be subdued, I believe, by using carnal weapons, but it can't be overcome. Evil can maybe be kept at bay. We see that with government. God's given authority to the government to 
as ministers to use the sword. Uh, and it, it does keep evil somewhat subdued, but it doesn't overcome evil. It only subdues it a bit, and the roots keep growing deeper in other directions. What overcomes evil is the extension of the hand, the Christian extending his hand, pulling the ox out of the ditch, pulling that person out of the ditch that is lost, giving a hand, encouraging, giving oneself for Christ to the people will wither that root of evil in a way that carnal warfare can't come close to, in the way that even what we'd call a Christian government can't come close to. That, that giving of oneself through Christ to other people is what withers the root of evil. Goodness, first of all, goodness begins, and that's the only thing that can overcome evil, begins in our hearts. Good must, be, must prevail in each one of us, in me, in you, before we can be an instrument of uh, of overcoming the evil that's in the world. First of all, that goodness, that light has to have reached our hearts, our inner beings. We are called to build muscle. We are called to do that, but it's spiritual muscle. We're called to build defense systems. Daniel prayed three times a day, and I see him as a, a good example of a person who built a spiritual defense system. He found a place of solitude place away from the demands of his job, the demands of governing, the demands of advising, the demands of, uh, you know, the influences, the evil influences I'm sure he was surrounded by. He found a place of solitude, a place of uh, coming to God. He found a time to seek God's will, God's strength. That's building a defense system. That's in our own lives. When we find a time of seeking God's will and, and his strength for our lives, he, he was committed three times a day. That's a pretty heavy commitment. He was committed to, to uh, going to prayer each day, three times. And not only that, but he was committed to identifying himself as a child of God. He wasn't afraid to say, that's me. I'm a child of God. I face east each day to seek God's face. And I think that's so important for us to do, especially as we are part of the world system. We're, we, we have jobs. We're in the middle of things. I think that's, that's an important first for us is to identify ourselves to other people as a child of God's. Once we've done that, it makes the, the uh, temptations we face, the following temptations we face, much easier because people know who we are and they expect something of us and we expect something of ourselves. And if we have the other parts in place, our defense system in place, seeking God's will, place of solitude, of talking with God, communing with him, then I believe the reaching out becomes much easier. Then there's the offense system, the spiritual offense system. And that would be the whole chapter of Romans 12. I'm not going to, to read that today, but I'd encourage you to do that. 
And I, I would, maybe just a few verses here out of Romans 12. Uh, be kindly affectionate one to another. Verse 10, with brotherly love and honor preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer. Distributing to the necessity of, of the saints, given to hospitality. It's, it's so much there as what I would call the offense, the, offense, the Christian offense system. It's the flexing of our muscles in a Christian way of reaching out, serving the community, serving our brothers and sisters. The Apostle Paul, he flexed his spiritual muscles. He spoke for Christ with every opportunity. He wasn't afraid to go into the synagogues time and time again, even though he knew that it would bring him trouble. And it did. Um, but he, he loved, it's because of his love for his own people that, that, that he did that. You know, he even said at one point he wishes himself anathema for his own people, where he could wish himself. And that, that means eternally lost. Um, you know, I can't identify with that. But Paul, I mean, it was that love that took him time and time again to try to convince his people uh, for Christ. He flexed his muscles when he was thrown into that prison, him and Silas. Uh, they were singing and no doubt praying while they're in the stocks. That's a spiritual muscle he flexed. Romans 12, 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Here again, this is where it comes to me as the hardest commandment. You know, humanly speaking, I don't think it's possible for us when it's in our means to defend ourselves to or even retribute evil or somebody that's done us evil. It's not in us to just, you know, say, no, I'm going to respond with good. That can only come from light flowing in and letting light flow out. It's, 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 that's the only way it can be. There is a final. There is what I will call a, an overcome final for each and every Christian. For Christianity as a whole. And we're, Revelations 12.9 talks about this. 9, 10, and 11. I'd like to read these three verses. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren, Satan, is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto the death. There is a final, a time coming when Christ will come in all his glory, and evil will be completely overcome, eradicated, defeated. It will be in one spot. It will be contained in hell. And that will be an eternal containment forever and ever and Christians will be able to to live without that constant active 
evil, dark and darkness and evil influence always coming in and trying to choke out the good in their lives. That day is coming. But in the meantime, a principle that we mustn't forget are, is, is found here in Revelations 12, 11. And that is, is that evil will only be overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony, by us being active, by the work Christ has done. First of all, evil will be overcome by us being active, the word of our testimony, and what's the last part? And they love not their lives unto the death. By loving God and loving the goodness of God more than our own life. That's the only way that we can overcome. That's a big job, and we can't do it on our own. It's only by us bringing in that light of God, letting it come in and take over us and, uh, and loving it more than, than ourselves, our own person. May God help us to fulfill this impossible commandment, but possible through the blood of the Lamb and through the power of Christ. You've been listening to The Hardest Commandment, a message by Gerald Schrock. This podcast is brought to you from the Bethel Mennonite Church in Gladys, Virginia. You can find us online at BethelMennoniteOnline.org. Thanks for listening.